Let's pray. You know, we've been, we've been thinking, haven't we, uh, together about how we hear from God. All of us, I imagine, I hope, I pray that all of us would love to hear from God, love to hear his voice, love to listen to his voice on a regular basis. We'd love to have that kind of relationship with him. Relationship comes by communication, doesn't it? When we communicate, then, you know, the relationship starts. It's like when, when a baby's born, they kind of communicate, and they're kind of frustrating, really, to be honest, aren't they? Because they, they just scream every now and again, and you have to figure out what's going on. So when they can actually talk and let you know whether it's the nappy or the food or the belly or whatever it is that's in their world that's gone wrong, it's a real blessing because you get to learn... You know, you can communicate with them far easier and far better. And it's, I'm saying it's not like that with God, but, you know, in the sense that communication is so vital for us. And God loves to communicate to his children. He just longs to, to share and to speak. And the Bible is from Genesis to Revelation. It's full of the communication of God, isn't it? It's about God speaking to people on and on and on and on throughout the pages of Scripture from thousands of years ago right up to, you know, 2,000 years ago when the Bible, uh, you know, the New Testament finished and so on. But it carries on speaking in Revelation into the future that God doesn't stop speaking. And he speaks in many, many different ways. And we've looked at some of those ways together in which, in which God speaks. But we've also kind of looked at um, uh, how God speaks and then we said that if, if we want to hear God, then we need to have that relationship. Jesus said it in John 3, didn't he, to Nicodemus. You've got to be born again. You've got to, you've got to have that relationship if you're going to understand his voice, if you're going to listen to his voice. And it's the same with, with all of us. You know, I was out for a meal the other night. I wasn't listening to any other conversation except, you know, my brother and his wife and Enoch was there when we were having a meal together. Why? Because I recognized their voice. I didn't... I didn't recognize anybody else's voice, so I didn't bother listening to them. And it's when we recognize God's voice, it's because we have that relationship with him. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You, you don't really know. You, you don't have the understanding because you don't know who God really is. You know, you need, to, you need to have that relationship first before you'll hear his voice and then gain understanding. And it also says that we need to be still. We need to be in a place you ever been in a, in a really noisy place where you can't hear properly? So frustrating. Somebody's talking to you and you're trying to lip read and, and you just can't hear. You know, when you're young, you remember when you used to go, how many of you ever went clubbing when you were young? Uh, maybe not so young, right? And what happens? You're there screaming in each other's ears, aren't you? Oh, yeah, and you finally give up. Because it's just pointless because the music is so loud that you can't hear. And, and God says, be still and know that I'm God. Be still. Like, find a place where you can actually listen to me because there's so much noise going on around. You need to find those moments. And we've spoken about that. And we said also we need to test the spirits. If you, if you think you've heard from God, test it, he said. Test before you do anything, before you leap into doing anything major in your life because God has said something to you. He says, test the voice just to make sure. And God is perfectly happy for us if we have that open heart that says, Lord, I just want to, I don't want to go wrong here. I want to make sure I've heard you right. Can you just confirm it? He promises that he will do that. But then we've also said that one of the critical things is that we need to align ourselves 
with God to hear his voice. Last Sunday, after, uh, after Pauline led the service and we, we had the breakfast, I went home and uh, I was kind of quite tired after cooking breakfast. And uh, I, I, you know what you do when you're tired? You just sit there in your lazy boy chair. You flip it up, don't you? And you just switch on the TV and you just kind of... Ugh. And they had uh, catamaran racing on. Right? And I was kind of like, you know those catamaran boats that just go flying through the water? They go, they go incredible speeds. They were doing like 70 knots. That's about 70, 80 miles an hour in the water. And they don't even touch the water. They've got these two little fins that are about the only thing that hits the water until they need to turn. And then they kind of come down and they turn at 30 miles an hour. And they're incredible, and I was watching it, and there was a races going on uh, between uh, Great Britain and Canada and New Zealand and Australia. And they were, and it's like that in our lives, right? Because the wind was the same for each one of them, wasn't it? Right, the wind is just blowing. But some of them were going faster than others because, they, because of their skill, they knew how to kind of go into the wind in a way that was better than some of the others. Oh, that's interesting. Anyway, they were, they were going into the wind, and they kind of like, some of them were going 75 miles an hour, others were going 60, others were going 40 or 50. And if I'd have been there, I'd have been going two, you know, not knowing what I'm doing. But why? Because they all had the same wind. It's just that some put their sails just perfect to the wind. And when they had that perfection of their sails with the wind blown across it, they went the fastest speed possible. And it's like that in the Word. God says to us that, you know, his, the wind of his spirit is blowing. The question is, have you got your sail up and is your sail catching the wind? And you see the difference between some people and other people is because they've got their sails and they're catching the wind and other people, they just don't, they just don't catch it at all. And they're just sitting there bobbing up and down in the water, going nowhere. And he says obedience, obedience to the word is the way that you catch the wind of the spirit. That's why we have the Word. The Word is, says, God, this is my, if you like, my instruction manual about how you can catch the wind of the Spirit. Read it, understand it, and then you'll catch the wind if you align your life to it. Amen? So the question is, like, well, what, what is it really saying? And um, are there, you know, important things? And we looked at one of them, didn't we? I mean, first we have to read the Word. How many times you got to at least read the Word a week? Four times a week, right? If you don't read it four times a week at least, then it will have no impact in your life. It's what research shows. Ideally, read it every day, a little bit every day. Just start, work your way through, read it. And the Spirit of God, as you read it, will, will just start implanting things into your life. But he says, like, how can I do that if you're not reading the Word? So he says, read the Word. I'm not even going to look that way. That's going to put me off. But he says also, you need to be obedient. And we said, you need to be obedient in serving God. 
When you're out serving God, those are the places where he's put you. Those are the places where you'll hear his voice because God speaks to you in those places of service. You see, God doesn't necessarily equip you all the time straight away. He doesn't dump on you everything that you need for those places of service. He says, go serve me here. Like you see it with the disciples. Go do this, and then I'll speak to you. I'll, as you're doing the job, I will, I will speak and guide and pour my spirit into you because you're out in the right place. And I will teach you and train you and equip you while you're serving me. And so the question is, well, where is God asking us to serve him? And we looked at that a little while ago. Are you serving God? Where are you serving God? And it needs to be a place I would suggest to you that is outside of your comfort zone. Because if you can do it in your own strength, there's less likelihood that you're going to listen to the voice of God because you'll just go ahead and do it. It's when you go out, you step out of the boat, as Peter did. It's when you go out, because he sends out like he did the 12 and the 72. When he sends you out into those difficult places where you're not quite sure, that's when you rely on him. And you go, Lord, I can't do this in my own strength, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you in what you want to do through me. So that's kind of where we've got up to. But there's a second important area of obedience not just in serving, but also in giving. And I want to talk about that over the next few weeks with a little break for Easter. Often we talk about receiving our tithes and our offering. What, what's a tithe? Turn to the person next to you. Tell, tell them what the tithe is. What is the tithe in the Bible? And what are you supposed to do with it? They will receive our tithes and our offerings. What does it mean? Let me get my laptop set up. Hang on a sec. It is to give. To give what? Okay, so what's a tithe? 10%? And what are you supposed to do with it? Give it to the church. Is that biblical? Yes. Do you want to preach? Okay, well, let's have a look at it. Can we get it up on the screen? Is it? We're going to look in what it says about tithing today. 
But before we do that, there's a few obstacles I want to address first. How many of you ever been in those churches where they just laden you down with guilt about that you've never given enough? You been there? I've been there. That the sermon for the tithe is longer than the sermon for the rest of the word. Been there? You don't do it. You don't give back to God out of guilt. You never give out of guilt because that's what people have laid on you. We give to God because we love God. And that must be the only reason that we give. We give out of the abundance and the blessing that he's given to us. And he says, I want you to give me back that 10%, the tithe. You know, I've been in ministry here for 23 years now, and this is the first time I've been preaching on this because of some of these issues. Because I can't stand going into churches where they ask you to give for absolutely everything. You come in and they say, give your 10%. Then you go for a coffee afterwards and they say, I want you to give another 50p for that. And they'll give you a pizza, but you have to give a little bit of money for that. And then you have to keep on giving and giving and giving and giving. That's not, that's not what God says in his word, as we'll see in a few moments. Sometimes in some churches, and so we don't talk about it because sometimes... Sometimes churches have made us feel guilty. Sometimes we don't talk about it because there's been mismanagement in churches of their finances. You give your 10%, and then what do you see? Well, you see the minister rocking up in his white suit next week, driving his Bentley into the car park, and you just think, like, what is going on here? You've been in those churches? I have. You know? And in the States, that's not good enough, so you have to buy your own private jet. Because God forbid that you would have to travel with anybody else. You know, it's just like, what is this? I don't see that anywhere in the pages of Scripture, do you? And so sometimes we, we, we have to overcome that obstacle because we see that it's been misused and so on. I just want to let you know, I, I don't get paid by Trinity Church. I'm paid centrally by the URC, and every minister is paid exactly the same amount of money right across this country. We paid a salary that's fixed by the hierarchy of the URC church every year. It doesn't matter to me in the sense of numerically, financially, whether this church has five members or 5,000. I won't get paid a penny more because that's the way the URC sees it, right? And I like that because then it's not about asking for money because I, I want to go on holiday. Asking for money because, you know, my Ford Focus needs to become Bentley. It doesn't work that way in the URC church. It's one of the things I love about this church. And so our finances are all open for everybody to see. Brian does an amazing job as our treasurer, but every, they're there. If you want to see what we spend the money on, you're welcome to it. And he can give you a, an up-to-date account of what's going on. And it all goes through the Charity Commission every year because it's all open. There's no mismanagement of the resources. We're open about it. Third obstacle that we have to overcome is that some people say, well, what's the point of talking about tithing? That's Old Testament law. 
That doesn't apply to us anymore. And there's a kind of element of truth in that, which is why next time we'll talk about what it says in the New Testament. But all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. And so it's a start. And it's not even that tithing is Old Testament law because Abraham tithed and, and Judah, um, uh, Jacob tithed. And so it predates the law and it postdates the law because Jesus even said in Matthew, he said, you know what? He said, don't give up tithing, but make sure that you do the, the more important things, which are things like justice and peace and mercy to people around you. So even Jesus kind of supported the tithe. And other people at the other end of the spectrum say, well, it's none of your business how I use my resources. Do you know how many times the Bible speaks about how we use our money? Any ideas? How many times do you think? Huh? Over 800 times. Do you know how many chapters in the Bible? Chapters. Not books. Books was too easy for you. There's 1,189 chapters, of which over 800. I mean, it's a big deal for God, right? It's really important to God how we use our resources. Why? Because he says it, doesn't he? In Matthew 23, he said, You cannot serve both God and mammon. What's mammon? Do you know? It's your wealth, your resources. In Matthew 23, 23, um, Sorry, not Matthew 23. Matthew 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount. Let me just read it for you. He says, don't store up treasures on earth. Store them up in heaven. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, money, wealth, possessions. And so God knows that when we sing that we have our trust in him, when we say that we have our trust in him, is that really true? Because God knows that the more we have, in a sense, the less or the more difficult it is for us to put our trust solely in him. Now, he longs to bless us, but we, he blesses us so that we can be a blessing, be a channel of that blessing to others. And so, yeah, it does matter. Over half of Jesus' parables were about how we use our money. So let's look at what it says. Let's look at what it says about tithing this week, and then next week we're going to look about what it says in the New Testament as it amplifies that. We're going to look at three questions, one today and two in subsequent weeks. One is, what is tithing? Secondly, we're going to look at, how is the New Testament different? And then thirdly, why is this so important? So let's look first about what tithing is. We haven't got it on the... No, okay, don't worry. Let me read for you from Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. 
It talks all about tithing. It says this, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and oil, and the flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice." And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in, the, uh, in your towns, so that the Levites who have no allotment in the inheritance of their own and the aliens and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands." So did you hear that? What's a tithe? What are you supposed to do when you tithe? So it says you need to take 10% of everything that your income, basically, right? They were an agricultural nation in those days, so it was 10% of your, your wheat and your barley or whatever you sowed in the fields and your cattle and everything else that God has blessed you with, Right? And what were you supposed to do with it? Give it to the church? What did it say? You bring it to the house of God, to Shiloh in those days, temple when it was built, and then what do you do with it? Give it? Shall I read the text again because you weren't listening? Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22 to verse 20, well, to the end of the chapter, verse 29. It says, set aside a tenth. And then it says, verse 23, eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and the flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. So what are you supposed to do with your tithe? Eat it. So basically, the word says what you're supposed to do is take one-tenth of your annual salary, you bring it to the church, and you have a massive, massive banquet. You and your household, which includes your brothers and sisters, us and we celebrate together why because it says you're there to revere the name of God to honor God to worship God to praise God to rejoice it says in verse 29 with God to say thank you to God it doesn't say come and bring it and give it to 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 the temple for them to use does it it says, come, every first two years, you come, 
You invite your household and everybody else, all your friends and your family, and you come and you have one big slap-up banquet. Do you remember Hannah, the story of Hannah and Elkinah with Samuel? Do you remember that? First Samuel. That's what they did. Every year they went up to the temple, up to Shiloh, where the Ark of the Covenant was. Eli was there. And they ate and they drank their tithe. And Hannah says, she's praying. Why? Because they're supposed to give thanks to God for all the blessing. And she says, but I haven't got a blessing because I'm childless. And I've been asking God for a child. Why won't God give me a child? Do you remember Eli comes out of Shiloh and what does he say to Hannah? What did he say to her? Huh? You're drunk. Now, why, why would he say that? Because it says you transform a tenth of your money into what? Food and wine. I imagine they were pretty riotous parties going on in Shiloh when all these people would turn up. And so Eli naturally thought she was drunk, and she said, I'm not drunk. I'm supposed to be here. Have you ever been to a party when you feel miserable? And everybody else is having a good time, and you're there going, oh, man, I don't really want to be here. You ever been there? That was like her, right? She was, she was going like, where's my blessing? I've been asking God for my blessing of a child, and here we are celebrating and rejoicing and giving thanks to God, and I've not got my blessing. And so she says to Eli, I'm not drunk. I'm, I'm, I'm in agony. And what does Eli say? He says, may God grant you your blessing because that's why you're here. And then she gives birth to Samuel. You see what the tithe is for? That's what tithing is. And then in the third year, what are you supposed to do? You go in the third year because the, the Levites don't have any property, right? That the servants of the temple, that the, 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 uh, the tribe of Levi who was to minister before God 24-7, they don't have any land with which to give a tithe. So they have nothing with which to bring God to be able to celebrate. So it says in the third year, what do you do? You go and you give your tithe to them so they can celebrate. Now, it's not everybody went every single year. Right? I mean, like they, didn't, they went every year, but my, my third year wouldn't be the same as Haley's third year, which wouldn't be the same as Hannah's third year. Do you see what I mean? So like every year there would be resources for the Levites, and it says then they will use those for them to celebrate and for, for paying for what needs to be done and for looking after them in the work of the temple. And it says they will then use that to look after the widows and the orphans and the homeless and everything else, right, for mission. That's what the tithe is. I bet you've never heard a preaching sermon on tithing like this before in your life, have you? It usually goes from Malachi, which is the great guilt chapter on tithing, right? Give, 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 and then otherwise you're robbing the Lord, right? We'll come on to that one later, but not today. That's what it says, Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 29. It's what it says the tithe is. Why? Why do we do this? Because it keeps us spiritually focused. That's why we do it. 
We come and we celebrate together. We gather together in God's house. And what do we do? We worship and we honor him. We give him praise and adoration. We rejoice in who he is. That's why we do it. That's what it's for. So what would that look like for us? Well, I suppose what we could do is that you could bring a tenth of your income and give it to the church and lay on a big banquet for the rest of us every two out of three years. But I think more sensibly, a little bit easier, would be if we started tithing to the Lord and those resources that we tithe into the church at Trinity would be used for the purposes for which it's said right here, which is what we've been doing. Shrove Tuesday, pancake evening. How much did you get charged for your pancakes? Mothering Sunday, how much did you get charged for breakfast? Maundy Thursday supper, how much will you get charged for your supper? Free. Why? Because the board of Trinity Church have taken a really brave decision. And they said, you know what? Two-thirds of what we give on a Sunday will go to hospitality and mission. One-third will go for paying the bills. Because we want to align Trinity Church to the Word of God because I want and the board wants and I pray that all of us wants the Trinity Church to catch the wind of the Spirit in full measure and blow where we need to go. The Spirit is blowing and He's given it to us in His Word, but how many times do we, you know, we don't take it seriously. But the words is quite clear here. So every month we, we're, we're planning different events. And they're not just for us, right? I would encourage you to invite friends to come along. It's not going to cost them a penny. Sign them up to come as though they're your kind of household, your network of people. Give them to come along. Why? Because we just want to revere God and give him thanks and praise for who he is and his blessing. And I believe, even though our treasurer is panicking, I believe God will supply everything we need. Because look at verse 29. It says, so that the Levites, da, 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 it goes, fatherless and the widows come and eat and be satisfied. And right at the end it says, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. As we align this church to the word of God, as we align our lives to the word of God, it says that's when the blessing comes because that's where the wind is. And the question is, are we going to align it or not? I love what Billy Graham said. He says, nine-tenths plus God's blessing is greater than ten-tenths when I try and do it myself. And I read recently, uh, just this week, somebody from Dallas Theological Seminary says this. He says, tables are one of the most important places of human connection. We're often most fully alive to life when sharing a meal around a table. 
We shouldn't be surprised then to find that throughout the Bible, God has a way of showing up at tables. In fact, it's worth noting that at the center of spiritual lives of God's people in both the Old and New Testaments, we find a table, the table of Passover and the table of communion. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright captures something of this sentiment when he wrote, when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. He goes on, he said, I'm convinced that one of the most important spiritual disciplines for us to recover in the kind of world in which we live is the discipline of table fellowship. In the fast-paced, tech-saturated, attention-deficit-disordered culture in which we find ourselves, Christians need to recover the art of a slow meal around a table with people we care about, table fellowship. It doesn't often make the list of classical spiritual disciplines, but in the midst of a world that increasingly seems to have lost its way with regard to matters of both food and the soul, Christian spirituality has something important to say about the way that sharing meal, ta sorry, sharing tables nourishes us both physically and spiritually. We need to recover. We need a recovery of the spiritual significance of what we eat, where we eat, and with whom we eat. That is why, as a church, we're going down this road this road of aligning ourselves to the Word of God. And so as we unpack over the next few weeks what it means for us to give, we need to align ourselves along with the church being aligned. And there's no age limit, there's no, you know, we see the widow, don't we, in the New Testament. We'll talk about that next week probably. You know, she gave just a penny, but she was all she had. And Jesus said, she went back even more blessed than all the others. It's not about mounts. It's not about, it's about aligning our lives and putting our trust in God so that the Spirit of God will continue to flow through us in increasing measure. Somebody once challenged me, and they, they said, you know, if somebody saw your bank statement, would they know that you were a believer in Jesus Christ? It's a hard thing, isn't it? What would they say were your priorities, apart from Amazon, if they looked at your bank statement for one month? I just encourage you, not because the church needs money, not because of any other reason, but I want you all to hear the voice of God. I would love it if every week we came back, we came here and we had a testimony this week of what God has spoken to us about. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love it if, you know, God was just pouring out, we were just so aligned with his spirit as a church and as individuals. This place is set on fire.
To do that, we need to align our lives and the life of his church. And one of the big things is this. Where are we giving? How are we using the resources that God gives to us? I want you this week, we'll look about the New Testament next week and what it says and how it builds on it. But I'd encourage you this week just to look. Are you tithing? Where are you tithing? It doesn't all have to come to the local church. This is just the way it was. You know the Jews in closing? Do you know how much of their percentage? Tithe was just one of the gifts they had to give. They had to give a Passover and Purim and all these other feasts. Do you know how much of their income they had to give? Yeah, it's like somebody, it varies, but somebody's 23% is what I read, 30% of their income went to the temple. But it didn't go just to the, the temple. It went for them to keep on going. God built in this whole system where on a regular basis, all throughout the year, they would make these journeys to go with their family and their friends to go and give thanks to God. Because God knows how quickly we forget, how quickly we, we get locked into our worlds, how quickly our eyes cease to be on Him and start to be on other things. Which is why he built all these kind of feasts and celebrations and everything else. To keep reminding them of who he is. We need to do the same in God's house. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for teaching us today. Lord, I pray people will go away today and look for themselves at Deuteronomy 14. 22 to 29. And they will examine their own lives because... Well, as you say in Malachi, you know, I, I'm not going to be talking to you if you're robbing me, if you're not doing what I've asked you to do, if you're not aligning your life to the things I've told you are important, then why are you expecting revelation from me? So, Lord, I ask that you would just help us in and of ourselves to look at our lives and see how, how my giving shows my love for you. I might be given to many organizations, I know we do, as well as to your church. But Lord, how, how am I doing? How am I using the resources that you give me to show you how much I love you? As David says, search me and know me, Lord. Know my inmost thoughts. And Lord, help me maybe step by step to align my life and the life of our church here at Trinity into your pathway, for we long to be flying along with your Spirit, catching the full power of the wind of your Spirit in the lives that you give us. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.